Hey there, Osman Faruqi here, the editor of 7am. Over the long weekend, we're resharing a special series we created with journalist Paddy Manning. Paddy spent a year investigating the link between climate change and health. Over three episodes, you'll hear the stories of those who have become some of the first Australian casualties of the climate crisis. The series first aired over the summer, but given recent extreme weather events, it's become an even more urgent story. We'll be back next week with new episodes. Thanks for listening. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is Climate Change Will Kill You, a special series from 7am. The climate emergency is the biggest crisis facing the planet. He said, look, and we looked across the paddock and all you could see was a bloody house coming in the water. While the rest of the world moves towards a zero-carbon future, our politicians praise coal and fossil fuels. We know and can see how, how important our coal is for the world. But Australia is one of the countries that has the most to lose from a failure to take action. From devastating bushfires and heatwaves... We just can't air caress, can't air caress, can't air... ...to floods... And the increasing severity of disease. Australians are already feeling the physical consequences of a warming planet. It's not a question about the future generations. It's not a question about, you know, the environment only. It's a question about people's lives. Journalist and contributing editor to the monthly Paddy Manning has travelled around the country investigating the impact climate change is having on Australians right now. Do you feel like um, you're a victim of a climate change disaster? Um... In this three-part series, inspired by Paddy's book, Body Count, we'll hear about the people who've become some of the first casualties of the climate crisis. Uh, we have to turn off this life support. Um, yeah, so just like that, gone. Their stories should be a wake-up call. Climate change is killing us, and we can't ignore it any longer. We have this kind of, oh, was that linked to climate change? And it's seen as somehow politicising or opportunistic to talk about that. And so it kind of gets swept under the carpet. And the stories of those victims don't get told. This is part one, heat. Patty, can you tell me about where this project started for you? Yes, yeah, so my research for this project started uh, at a Stopadani rally out in um, Western Sydney in Parramatta, uh, just ahead of the 2019 federal election. And one of the speakers was a Western Sydney doctor, Kim Liu. I'm Dr Kim Liu. I'm a mother of two children and I've been a general practitioner and now working for 30 years in Western Sydney. I'm a child of Western Sydney. She got up and talked about the impact of climate, you know, how it's disproportionately severe in the Western suburbs of Sydney, which is kind of a heat-trapping kind of bowl. During heat waves... We are often 6 to 10 degrees hotter than the rest of Sydney. This is because of our geography and our urban design. We have houses built so closely together you can't plant any greenery around it. 
This is a microclimate that trap heat. Temperatures are higher in the western suburbs. You don't get the kind of sea breezes that you get on the coast. And that is impacting people's health. And she's seeing it amongst her own patients. I had one of my patients, my long-term patients, I looked after for 14 years. He had had a previous heart attack. He had asthma. She talked about a particular guy who'd suffered from the heatwave of December 2018. On a Saturday, which was 41 degrees, I was called from home by the police. I went there and saw what had happened. And... I thought, I need to talk to that woman. So, Patty, that was 2019, and you've since spent a lot of time with Dr Lou, and she introduced you to the family of a man called Chuck McLeod, and that was a patient who she was particularly close to. I interviewed Chuck's daughter, Evelyn. Uh, She lived about 20 minutes away, and they were very close. She checked in on him every day and, you know, called regularly. I'm Evelyn North. Uh, daughter of Charles McLeod, who we affectionately call Chuck. So that summer was a hot one. Uh, there were record-breaking heat waves all through the holidays, all around the country. And that year, the McLeods celebrated Christmas together. Next day, I just asked him how he was. I think, and I went popped and seen him on the way home from work, and trying to constantly remind him that it's hot. Don't go out. On the 29th, Evelyn had to work and didn't actually drop in on him. She just texted. Took him a while to get back to me. He says, oh, it's okay, everything's fine, yeah. I just had a bit of a sleep in, taking advantage of the, the cooler, cooler weather in the morning. I said, okay, no worries. He said, this neighbour's been on the phone as well because she used to, used to have a thing where they'd o- he'd open the curtains in the morning and she know, knew that he was For up. whatever reason, went up to Coles and made it back in time before the day really got severe. Then he cracked a beer and, you know, after half a glass, decided that Buggeretti was going to go back up. He must have forgotten something. He was going to go back up the shops. And even though I'd remind him, don't go out, and he'd say, oh, is it really that bad? And I'd say, yes, it is, don't go out. It was me trying to... He's probably thinking, oh, that bossy woman's telling... All these women telling him what to do. And so he hopped back on his scooter in that ferocious heat back up to the shops. You know, the doctor's telling him what to do, this nurse is telling him what to do, the daughter's telling him what to do, and I'm my own man, and <laughs> I'll do my own thing sort of thing. I don't know. He made it home, but the neighbour actually noticed that his air conditioning was still on normally. He would have turned it off. And because they all live quite close together and they all looked after each other. And she rang Evelyn and said, I think you better come over. I'm worried about Chuck. And he was just lying on the floor on his side. And so Evelyn went over and sure enough found, found him dead. You first learnt about Chuck through his doctor, Dr Kim Liu. Can you tell me what she said to you about his death? Well, Kim was asked to fill out Chuck's death certificate and she did something that she'd never done before. What did you write on the death certificate? I wrote down heart attack and I wrote down heat. She wrote down heat alongside heart attack and respiratory failure. Like, it it was a cold day or cool day. He probably would be still alive, but... The heat just tipped him into probably having a heart attack. And he was lovely. Oh, God. I'm still upset about Chuck, actually. Sorry. It's okay. You know, as a general practitioner, you look after people and you do become attached to them. 
is it unusual for a doctor to put down heat as a as a cause of death? How significant was that decision? This is the thing. It's heat deaths are underreported. Most often they're recorded as a as a heart attack or a stroke. And that's the immediate cause of death, if you like. Because it was such a hot day and I thought it was a major factor in um a major factor that precipitated his death. Do you think that's activism? Is that part of your activism? No, no. It's, it's what we know about heat and its impact on the body. It's not activism at all. It's the reality of what I work with every single day. There's a real argument amongst in the medical profession now that environmental factors um, should be included in, you know, uh, we could do a much better job, put it that way, of death certification. Perhaps death certificates should have environmental factors on them. We do need to get smarter about how we, how we prepare ourselves for heat and also how we, how we record these deaths because the first step to managing a risk is to identify it. And so far, you know, we haven't properly identified it. Right. But is that beginning to happen, Paddy? We are starting to see, I think, a greater recognition of the links between natural disasters, climate change and death, aren't we? Well, we know that um, the World Health Organisation says that between 20 and 30 and 2050, they expect a half a million deaths per year from climate change as a result of heat, as a result of disease and other factors. And scientists say they can be more confident about the connection between uh, climate change and heat waves than any other extreme weather event. So heat is the most dangerous extreme weather event in Australia uh, over, over our history. It's caused more deaths than every other extreme weather event combined. And year after year, we're seeing more severe heat waves. We're in the middle of another hot summer. The Climate Council has run out of ways to describe our angry summers, the angriest summer. It's just getting worse year after year. And so if we start thinking about deaths like Chuck's as, a, as related to climate change, I think that's, that's, a, that's a real wake-up call to heat, which is disproportionately those on lower incomes, those older people in communities, very often either in the suburbs of our major cities or out in places like the Northern Territory, the centre of the Northern Territory, which, you know, on some forecasts will be uninhabitable in the second half of the century. We'll be back in a moment. Patty, we're talking about the casualties that we're starting to see as a result of extreme weather caused by climate change. You have spent the better part of a year looking into this, and I wonder, are you able to pinpoint when climate change became fatal for us here in Australia? I've kind of come to an imprecise starting point, uh, which is around the turn of the century. I got there by looking at the history of extreme weather events and which caused, you know, loss of life. And fire behaviour started to change in Australia around the turn of the century and that the 2003 Canberra bushfires, they were very alarming to scientists. As it stands, this is the fire situation. 500 firefighters are tonight battling the biggest blazes ever seen in the camp. It just came through so fast. It was the unthinkable, a mega fire in the nation's capital. There were four fatalities in the Canberra bushfires. 
Holy Jesus. This is, this is bad news. They spread at the fastest rate ever kind of measured. They were spreading at 20 kilometres an hour. There was the first fire tornado. Just like a big fireball tornado, look at it. Oh. That was the first time this phenomenon had ever been observed between two fire fronts that they whip up this whirling um, fire-nado that just hit the western suburbs of Canberra at a speed that firefighters, you know, they were just unable to stop it. Get out of here! Now, that way! Follow us down! Follow us down! Follow us! So those 2003 Canberra fires, can we link them to climate change? What do the people who are there say? I interviewed David Tenner, who lost his wife that day. We spoke about the fire and how his wife, Alison, lost her life and and whether that fire was connected to climate change. I, mean, I think Alison got caught out. I, I think it just arrived on, on the suburb like a tsunami without warning, so to speak. And, but I would like to have thought that if I was here, I could have gotten her out, you know. You know, he was open-minded about whether the bushfires were linked to climate change. I know we're in drought. I know we have climate change. I know the place is a tinderbox. But even with all that, how can we have so many fires in such a short period? I mean, what's actually sparking them? Later, after I had spoken to the uh, bushfires and natural hazards CRC, uh, in particular a scientist down there called Phil Zilstra, who's looked at the you know history of um, bushfire in the Alps in Australia, and he told me that these fires were started by dry lightning, and that they were you know a turning point in the history of you know uh, bushfires in Australia. And when I put that to David, um, he said, "Well, yes, in that case, I think you can link Alison's death to climate change." His thinking about about her death kind of evolved as I spoke to him over, you know, the course of, you know, half a dozen different conversations and interviews over a span of about a year. As time goes on, the science comes in, takes years to come in, that will attribute a particular extreme weather event to global warming. And the people, the victims who are most affected don't necessarily keep track of the science and don't necessarily see the story, if it, even if it appears, you know, in the back pages of a newspaper years after an event which says actually that fire was linked to warming. And so David's own thinking, it, it kind of changed in, in the course of my interviews with him. But the Canberra fires were started by dry lightning, then yes, I guess we could say we were a victim. Hmm. You could have had 500 fire trucks and 5,000 men and you would not have stopped this. Yeah. And how much has that conversation on bushfires and climate change developed since then, Paddy? I think the most recent bushfire season was the first time when people on the ground, the affected communities, insisted that climate change be part of the discussion. When the bushfire season started to really deteriorate. We saw the first loss of life up on the New South Wales north coast. And the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, was saying, not today. She was asked by reporters whether the fires, the severity of the bushfires was linked to climate change. She said, not today. I certainly don't think it's appropriate to get into a political argument as to what the causes are at this stage. There's no doubt there it's, are it's Premier, It's not a conditions. political argument. I'm, I'm citing... I'm citing and, citing and straight away, the response from 
the people on the ground was, if not now, when? When are we going to talk about climate change? Because, you know, we're dying here. I just said, Gavin, you knew this was coming. It's been coming for a few years. You've been totally ignorant of it. And now we're wearing your problem. Patty, by pulling all of this together and drawing these links with this project, what is it that you're hoping to achieve? Is it to bear witness to these deaths or is it an attempt to raise the alarm about climate change in a perhaps more tangible kind of way? It's it's a bit of both, Ruby. It's, um, it is an attempt to bear witness because I think that it is an attempt to honour the people who've lost their lives and their loved ones because they get left out of the climate debate. And this is a trend now that is established. As a kind of community, we have been debating climate change forever and there's no prospect yet that that debate is going to kind of conclude or come to some kind of consensus. I hope that it does. But while we have that debate, people are dying and we're we're not being honest about, about the connections between global warming and and these deaths. If we don't understand global warming at its most acute, where it's killing us, if we don't understand it in the in those terms, well we're we're not understanding the danger that we're facing at the most acute. It's a question of how climate change is killing people. And so it seemed to me over the years, you know, it's always a hot button topic after every um, after every you know, extreme weather event that, you know, causes loss of life, we have this kind of, oh, was that linked to climate change? And it's seen as somehow politicising or opportunistic to talk about that. And so it kind of gets swept under the carpet. And the stories of those victims don't get told. That was Paddy Manning, author of the book Body Count, which inspired this series. You can listen to all three episodes of Climate Change Will Kill You in the 7am podcast feed. This series was produced by the 7am team. Field reporting and production by Elle Marsh in a position supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Additional production by Ruby Schwartz and Cinnamon Nippard. Brian Compo and Atticus Basto mixed the show. It was edited by Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes of our daily news show, 7am. I'm Ruby Jones. See you then. <laughs>